Amen. Well, hey, welcome to the Practicing the Way series. We're talking about Sabbath. Sabbath, not as this Old Testament religious thing that people used to do, but the understanding that God has given us this gift of rest, and He actually wants us to walk in it. How amazing is that? <laughs> Amen? I never heard that in church growing up. Many of us didn't, but I feel like this is a season where God is man. Like, when He draws us close to rest in Him, I believe that God is going to be doing new things in and among us. Amen? Anybody believe that with me? Amen. Me too. Amen. So here's a visual of, of rest that I got. Um, well, the, the, the message today is called true rest. True rest. Because I think even when we talk about rest, sometimes we have in our mind a vision or a, a definition of what rest is based on what the world has offered us in terms of rest. But what scripturally happens is in the Bible is it gives us a totally different picture, a spiritual kind of rest. It's not just for my body. It's just not, not just that I get enough sleep at night, but there's actually a rejuvenation in my soul. This is the rest that Jesus promises us. What is that? How do I access that? How do I get that to be a part of my daily spiritual life? That's what Jesus is inviting us into. Um, and so here's the picture I got thinking about what true rest looks like in Scripture. It's a riverbed. Now, this is in Kenya. So when we go up there, what's interesting is in Western Kenya, where we do our missions, it's barren. It's arid. It's dry. It's hot. Um, pray for them, by the way. If um, they're in one of the longest droughts now that they've ever seen, they've, I think it's the longest one they said in like eight years, or no, more, it's like 40 years. Basically, the people in this um, region of Africa, in this region of Kenya specifically, um, they actually are people who, they're migratory, but they migrate with the stars. Does that sound familiar? They're a star-oriented people, so they use the stars to know what season it is, and so they can predict when rains are coming based upon the season. And they get two or three big rainy seasons in their year, but what happens is if you miss one, that's when drought is official, because they've missed a rainy season. They have to go an extra long period without rain. The drought they're in now, they've missed three rainy seasons in a row. Isn't that bad? So they're struggling, and just so you know, our church is actually, we just sent food support for them, for our friends in Pokot, because we're waiting to just be available to help however they need, and that's what they asked for. They just said, when there is no water, there is no food, there's no food for our animals, all these kinds of things. So a lot of, a lot of stuff's going down. Keep them in prayer. Um, but what it does give, it gave me this vision of rest, because a biblical vision of rest, because when you get up to... The village we go to, we actually drive through one of these things. It's a dry riverbed. There's no roads to where we go and we minister. And so it's sand, like Lanikai kind sand, like really, really fine sand. But what's interesting is part of the direction that people use in this territory is they can see the bigger, greener trees because they all line along the river. Does that make sense? So the bigger greener, healthier-looking plant life all lives along the river. And so you can see from afar, oh, the river's there because you can see the the shrubbery. You can see the green, the giant green trees. And if you go to the next picture, this is what they use the river for. In the dry season, the river actually, the wet season, the waters come like crazy and they pour down these riverbeds, but the water sits under the sand. The sand acts like a natural filter, and so they have clean, fresh water underneath the sand. They just got to dig them out. And even when people have gone to drill wells in these areas, they actually say, we prefer this because it tastes like purified water. The wells, the water sits stagnant inside the well, so it's not as good. So they actually prefer to dig out boreholes in the sand because it's like the freshest of the fresh water. So here's the visual, is that there's a living stream that even when life looks dry, has water in it if you're in, around it and near it. 
Does that make sense? And here's what life looks like when we live in Kenya. Here's the next picture. Here's some, this is like from 10 years ago. Um, that's me. Ken took me out hunting, and we just stopped and had, a, had food, and it was middle of the day. The only place to find shade to hide in is in the riverbed, because that's where the big trees are. So we just sleep in this like really powdery sand, and it's beautiful. And that's Meg also meeting, I didn't really notice this at the time, but the women all hang out in the riverbed, because that's where shade is, that's where protection is, and that's where the water is. So here's the idea, is that Sabbath happens on the river. And that this is a very biblical idea, that things gather, life happens. There's things both spiritually and physically that happen around the river. And you look at Psalm 1. Take a look at this. This is a vision for the life of Sabbath, the life in Christ. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or take, uh, or sorry, uh, stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is the idea. Those trees on the river are green year round. They bear fruit even if there's a drought. It's almost as if the trees aren't convinced they're in a drought because they're so close to the river. Are you with me? This is the life of, our, of life in Christ, that my life is so in him, the living water, that it's not like I don't know there's a drought out there in the world, but it doesn't affect me because my leaves don't wither. I stay green and I bear fruit because my roots are always connected to a source of water, even in the dry season. Isn't that beautiful? So this is the vision for your life in Sabbath. Is Sabbath is, a, is this way of resting in the shade of these trees by the river, knowing that your roots are always connected to the source. Sabbath brings us back to the source of life, who is Jesus himself. That's the point of Sabbath. So if you haven't been with us, here's a true definition. Sabbath is stopping and resting. And Jesus changes the Sabbath from the Old Testament to the New. It's not no longer this legalistic 24-hour period where you can't do anything, which is how the Pharisees and Jewish legal people always thought it to be. He says, now it's actually in me. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Do as I do, and you'll find rest in that. So our Sabbath is still here, but it just looks different than it used to. We talked last week about the drumbeat, that boom, there's a rest and there's a beat. There's a rest and a work. That's how we make rhythm. Rest, work, rest, work. But without that rest, the work, work, work of life. As Jesus says it himself, he, says, he tells this parable, there's seeds. And if the seed is planted among the thorns of the world, it says those thorns are going to choke you out so you'll bear no fruit. This is what no Sabbath looks like, is you're allowing the things of the world to shape you and mold you, and you're not able to stop and rest in the things of God. So here's, the, here's a quick list. If you're ever thinking, why can't I rest? <laughs> why can't I, even when I like knock out on the couch and watch Netflix for like five hours, why am I not feeling rested after? It's because there are things spiritually that are going on in our hearts that are disconnecting us from the river itself, and we're not finding true rest in that. So here's just a, a glance at some of the ones that came to mind, but the list is long. Here are things that keep us, destroy us from resting and keep our, our life just chaotically banging drums with no actual rhythm of rest in it. So work and its pressures. Work and its pressures. They always keep us going. 
always keep you going. Work, work, work. If you want to make it up the ladder, you better work harder. If you want to do better, you better be, work harder than the guy next to you so you can get higher, and then you'll be known for that, and then your identity's involved in it, and then your ego's involved in it, and you better keep working, because if you don't keep working, your life is going to be meaningless. This is what the world is going to tell you. Rest says no. Work and its pressures are not your identifier, so I can say no. I can limit them, put boundaries around them, and say, I'm going to sit here in God. Number two is our habits of sinfulness. What I've realized, too, with Christians, all of us as as followers of Christ, we don't have a slew of sins. It's not like everybody commits all ten sins on the Ten Commandments all the time. We usually have our go-to. We have a handful that we just keep coming back to, and they're habitual in our life. And so the Lord's work in us is to set us free from some of those sins. Some of them we just don't struggle with much at all, but some of them really seem to have us enslaved. And so we can't rest if we constantly keep having sin knocking on our door, being like, oh, knock, knock. Yeah, you're still a sinner. Yep, keep feeling guilty. Keep feeling shameful. Keep doing this. Which is why Christ came, and he says that Christ came to set the captives free. You're no longer slave to sin. Be free from that in Jesus' name. Number three, worldly distractions, culture, everything around us. We busy ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We don't understand what's happening in our hearts and our spirits because we're just so distracted. Even unresolved traumas and mental health things keep us from rest. And so there's a lot of work to do there. Go to therapy, see, get help, pray about, invite Jesus into those areas that are really keeping you from reaching that stream, your roots to reach the stream of life. Economic hardships. Whenever the the economy gets bad, everybody stops resting because we get worrisome and we're frustrated. We're blaming people and all these things start happening and we can't find our rhythm of rest again. Sociopolitical tensions, distrust, anger, unbelief. We stop trusting God. We get angry at people. We get angry at God and we can't rest because our spirit is so restless about things that are going on. Fear, worry, anxiety, the list goes on. These are things that are trying to eat your rest. They're being like, oh, nope, keep worrying, keep wanting, keep desiring, keep being distracted, keep wandering this way. And we can't sit at the feet of Jesus and just be like, oh, I just need to breathe. Let me breathe. Let me rest. So we had had a great illustration of this, our small group. And if you haven't been a part of small groups, man, this last week's content was actually really challenging for all of us in the best way possible. So I'd encourage you to go and watch those videos because it's so good about trying finding true rest in Christ. But Tim in our small group said this thing. He's, he knows it's coming already. He created this beautiful poetic phrase for us so that we can understand what work, life with work and no rest looks like. He says it this way, a life of work with no rest is like a self-licking ice cream cone. Isn't that beautiful? Everyone give Tim a round of applause. And Tim is U.S. Coast Guard, small group leader, and a potential philosopher now. That's on his resume. But here's what I love about this, this visual that he gave. We're like, we talked about it after. He's like, is that a real phrase, a self-licking ice cream cone? And he's like, I don't think so. But here's what's great about it. It's because you're working, you're thinking you're being nourished by your work, but what are you doing? You're eating yourself away. That's actually what work without rest does to us spiritually. It actually takes... we are like licking ourselves into nothing. (laughs) That's what working and working and working without resting looks like. So beautiful, (laughs) beautiful analogy. So 
here's this crazy passage that God put on my heart this week. And this is the one time that the word labor is used in the New Testament. That you need to do something. You need to work hard. And guess what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works. Talking about God. God himself entered rest. And we, as he rests, we enter rest with God, as God did from his. Therefore, let us labor to enter into that rest. What? Labor into rest? What is that even? That's a paradox. What does that even mean? It means if you're going to work hard, work hard at taking a break. <laughs> Can I get an amen? If you're going to work hard, work hard at stop be, stopping being defined by your work. Work hard at stop, if you're going to want something, stop wanting your, the things that you want all the time. Are you tracking? Work hard at not working hard. Do less, God bless. Amen. That's what it's telling us. Stop working hard at working hard, because that's not where our identity is. So Jesus goes on to say this beautiful passage, and he's, he really takes this idea and kind of expounds it. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Not just rest for your body, a spiritual rest, a rest for your soul. And so if you're asking, well, what is that this morning? What does it mean to have a spiritual rest? What does that look like? Many of us might not have experienced something like that before. The rest for our soul, I think about it this day. What happens in our bodies when we sleep? ATP synthesis for science people out there. Your body starts digesting, your metabolism picks up, and it's grabbing every ounce of nutrition in your body to make energy for the next day. So as you sleep, your body is actually working hard to rejuvenate you so that you can have a full tank of gas for the next day, right? Spiritual rest is the same functionally. It's about a spiritual rejuvenation that you might feel rejuvenated by life in all capacities, that you might be the tree that's on the stream that sees the drought around you, but is still happy because you're connected to the source. It's an inner peace that passes understanding. It's a contentment that God is good even when the world isn't. It's this ability to just be able to uh, rejoice in our sufferings, uh, to, to, to be strong and, and endure through hardships, the things that the scripture asks us to. It's all contingent on how rested are we spiritually, how connected are we to the source of life so that when the drought comes around us, we can hold on to the living water. This is a spiritual rest. And you will find rest for your soul. Your soul won't be in turmoil and being pushed and pulled all the time. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For a rabbi, it was normal to say this. Because your yoke as a rabbi is when you followed a rabbi as a Jewish disciple... Your, your rabbi would carry a yoke. That means his teaching, his principles, his, his style, his method of teaching, all that stuff. That's the yoke, right? That's, your, that's the rabbi's yoke. And so he says, when you come to me, the yoke of the world that's burdening you down, that you have to do all these laws, right? The, usually the yoke of a rabbi was burdensome. You have all these laws, all this scripture you have to memorize. You have all his rules that he's given you, like oral laws that you have to remember. It's, it's a heavy process being a, a disciple of a rabbi. But he, Jesus says something different. As a rabbi, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're going to find rest. The irony that you're going to put on my teaching, do it as I've asked you to do, follow my commandments, but your life is going to get easier. 
that's a crazy promise to make for Jesus. Your life isn't going to be burdened by things and a list of rules. Your, your life is going to be freed up to live in the grace that I poured out over you. This is what Jesus is promising. This is spiritual rest. So my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm humble and gentle. Come and find rest for your souls. I'm not a mean teacher. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not one of those bad rabbis with all these rules to burden your life. Come and find me and you'll find life an easy and burden, uh, a, a yoke that is easy without burden. And so I want to go through five things today about rest, the spiritual rest, all in the mentality that all of us need to have a rhythm in our lives, that I'm able to work and find meaning and purpose in my work and do the right kind of work, but also find meaning and purpose in my rest. And, and God does something in our, in our tanks. Our, he rejuvenates us spiritually when we find rhythms of rest. And I'll share what that's looked like for me, but here's some big things that we have to understand a spiritual rest is different than just relaxing and doing nothing. Resting, first of all, is resisting. This is like where it starts. Last week, you talked about the importance of stopping. I can't start a Sabbath until I've stopped the things that are trying to control me in my life. <laughs> the bad things, I should say. If teenagers are like, yeah, mom, you're trying to control me. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And that's not it. It's honor your father and mother. But it's, it's saying that the, the worldly things that are trying to conform me I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I don't have to sit under the influence of the things of the world, that I can live freely under the things of Christ. So resisting, resting is resisting. There are things that I have to say no to in this world. There are things that I have to protect myself from in this world. Jesus says, take all thoughts captive. Scrutinize them to know that if these are lies that are seeping into your head because we're allowing them in, but we're not doing the work of saying, hey, Lord, is this from you or is this a lie? then we're allowing ourselves to be formed by things that oftentimes aren't of God. So resting is resisting. I think about the, the biggest thing I think about right now is Makahiki season in, in Hawaii. This is a crazy thing to think about. Hawaii was so um, sustainable. They were so abundant in their harvest, their work and harvest rhythm, that they only had to work eight or nine months of the year and they could rest for three or four harvest for three or four for eight or nine months of rest. That's a crazy kind of production. But it's a rhythm. They knew that they still had to rest. And if you know anything about the history, what's crazy is wars had to stop during Makahiki season. Human sacrifice in the Kapu system had to stop during Makahiki season. There is a resistance to even the things that they knew they were bound to, those laws. Even the elite knew this was time that we can't, killing isn't helping human flourishing. So everything has to stop and pause, and peace has to be present in this season. And what's crazy is both Captain Cook, when he came, and the missionaries both came during Makahiki season. They came during seasons of peace. And so in, in a way, they, they came at the time where Sabbath, it was like a, a cultural Sabbath, if you will, a cultural rejuvenation of the soul with competition and games and fun and harvest and all these amazing things. All of that was happening right there, but they had to resist things. There were things in their, in their culture and in their nature that they felt like, hey, we gotta, we got to stop doing this for these few months if people are going to thrive, if we're going to find a true, healthy rhythm as a people. Remember that um, movie, Hacksaw Ridge, if many of you have seen it? There's an Adventist, a Seventh-day Adventist man, who joins the military, and he, they send him out to war, but he holds his ground. And how many military people in this room know how easy it is to stand up to your commanding officers, Right? like zero hands. Exactly. Because you can't do that. But he, this man would stand his ground and say, no, I don't do anything on Sundays. 
I can't do this, 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 and this, and this, because the Lord has said, don't do these things. Keep these things holy. And the whole movie, if you watch, it's a true story about a man who served his country well, but maintained the boundaries of loving God the way that God had compelled his heart. And the same thing, um, I want to mention this too, is we have a, another great example. Um, Auntie Paula's daughter actually sent a testimony of how this was true for her. She's an NYPD officer, was that right? In New York. And she was holding her ground saying, like, the Lord is saying, don't work on Sundays. That's my Sabbath. And the way that the, the world tried to attack her and break that, but the way that God protected her for resisting in that season is actually a pretty incredible story. And so we have the audible, the audible version. We're going to try to put it up on the website and the app so people can hear it for themselves. I won't ruin it, but it's a really, really beautiful story. But here's the idea. What are we resisting when we Sabbath? Are you realizing that when I Sabbath, it's not just about me catching a breath. It's actually about pushing away the things that are trying to take my breath. Take my breath away. Sorry. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to push those things away. Resist the enemy. Resist his lies. Resist the things that are actually trying to steal my sense of spiritual rejuvenation. That's what resting in Christ looks like. So resist those things. And Jesus constantly pushed against the Sabbath. He was resisting the religiosity of the Sabbath. That's what he was. He kept pushing and pushing. Um, but number two is this, if you're taking notes. Resting is not just re resisting. Resting is also trusting. There's a spiritual element of trust involved. Whenever you take a break from something, you have to stop working, stop worrying, stop wanting. All of these things are trust issues. Do I trust that God is going to provide for all my needs? Jesus says it this way. He's like, why are you guys worried about tomorrow? Why are you guys worried about what you're eating and wearing? Look at the birds. Do they have everything they need? Those are birds. I love you way more than birds. Don't you think I, I, I'm at least thinking about you? That I'm going to protect you and save you and, and deliver you? Stop worrying. Don't worry. Be happy <laughs> in Jesus' name. But here's a quick Sabbath, Sabbath, a Sabbath reflection. A quick reflection is this, what does my pace of life say about my faith? This is a good question to ask ourselves. Does your pace of life, does your rhythm of hitting the drum, resting, hitting the drum, resting, are you hitting it so hard that you have no rest? What does that say about your faith? How is this connected to your spirituality? Do you actually trust him? Do you trust him that if you take a break and rest in him and draw closer to him as the source, that things will take care of themselves? It's not even that. It's that he will take care of things for you. Do you trust him? Do you live a life where you even need him? There's another question. Do you live a life where you actually need to depend on him? Because this is the heart of God. He's trying to bring us into a place back into dependence where we depend on him. Do I, uh, is my identity fixed in my output? Am I so focused on what's coming out in my workplace, in my family, results, 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 that I'm not being able to stop in the process and just breathe with God and just be like, I'm here, you're with me, I love you. Jesus, just be in me, refresh me, fill me. Jesus, think about David, he says it this way. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I want nothing. I lack nothing. I have everything I need. And then he goes on to that, you guys know that passage, he goes on to say this crazy statement that God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The table is a symbol of a place where your guard is let down. You don't, they didn't have chairs back then. You're not sitting in your chair like this, looking around, you're relaxing. You're literally laying on the floor, eating and drinking with your guard down, 
in connectivity to whoever's at that table. You're connecting with people. He says, God puts me in a state of peace and relaxation and connection even though my enemies are right outside. That's how good God is. That's how we need to trust him. Amen? That's a real level of trust, that God would prepare a table before me even with my... God, why don't you take care of my enemies first, then I can relax. No, he's like, no, you relax, you rest, I'll take care of the enemies. You can be in the middle of a drought and still bear fruit because you're connected to the source. Same idea. So here is, and the last one is this, is my relationship with him worth slowing down for? (laughs) Here's what I get a lot of time. Pastor Mark, this all sounds really good. I don't know if I can actually take a break or slow down. My life is too busy. Oh, for real? Too busy for Jesus? Is that going to hold up when you get to the gates? (laughs) Jesus is like, oh, you were super busy. I'm so sorry. At least you did your best. Thanks for trying. No, Jesus has a life that he wants you to live here that is full of passion and full of um, joy and full of miracles and wonders and full of amazing things that you get to experience in connectivity with other people, but it's available to you when you enter into rest with him. And I don't want to be too busy for that. Amen? And the irony is being too busy for it means that I'm choosing things that are going to take me away from that life rather than push me to it. I don't want to be that. So this is why we rest. Resting is trusting in God. I trust you that this is the process, that you gave me life in this process, and I want to walk in that. I trust that there's life in it. So we go back to Hebrews 4 again. And this is, um, this is crazy because the very next verse, we just read this idea that we labor into rest. There's a verse that comes right after it that is also good. It says that, there were, Consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as so, as so God did from his. Therefore, let us labor to enter that rest, so that, why do we rest? No one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. And he's talking about the disobedience of Israel, who didn't rest when God told them to rest. God told them to rest. He says, don't be mistaken. The Sabbath is here. If you read this whole passage, he says the Sabbath is now. Israel blew it. They could have rested in God, but they didn't. We have a second chance. We rest in Christ. We abide in him and we bear fruit in season. But what's keeping us from that? There's all sorts of things that are keeping us from rest. And it says this, that we do it because we don't want to follow the exact same example of disobedience. It's actually disobedient to not rest. (laughs) It's the only, I heard it this way. It's the only commandment in the Ten Commandments we feel fine just breaking. And we have like no problem just, yeah, I don't need to rest. That's, you know. Can, imagine if we put the same thing towards murder. <laughs> like, you know, like, your brain's gone all over. Don't think about that. But here's the point. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't apply to God's commandments. You can't just pick and choose. Like, God says rest, and the Hebrews are saying, even in the New Testament, it's important. Follow the rest that Israel blew, but you still have a chance to do in Christ. Walk into that rest. And then if you go down the list, it's, it's actually kind of perilous. If you go down the, um, the end of Hebrews chapter 4, he says this. Um, I'm summarizing. But he basically says, the fear is that people will live a life and not actually experience the goodness of God because they didn't know how to rest. That's the failure. It's not that your salvation is on the line because you didn't Sabbath, anything like that. It's more of that. You missed what God really had for you because God had his rest on the table and we didn't walk into it. We followed the same disobedient path as those who came before us. So can we enter into rest? Amen? Let's do it. Let's start habits and rhythms where we rest in God and we put our trust and our faith fully in him.
The next one, if you're taking notes, that resting is, is trusting. Resting is also dreaming. This sounds really weird. You're like, what are you talking about? How many times in the Bible did God make someone fall asleep to give them a vision? You rest because God puts our body at stillness, in a place of stillness, so that we can actually hear from him. This is what resting looks like. I have another great quote from an upcoming philosopher. Esther said this. This is a real quote. She said this. One time I was staying up late and she was going to bed and she's like, Daddy, you got to come to bed. You got to go to bed. And I said, no, Esther, I have too much work, right? And she even knew in her eight-year-old brain. She says, Dad, if you don't sleep, how can you possibly dream? This is literally how, like, she was concerned because dreaming is the best thing ever if you're a kid. I get to go to sleep so I can dream. I can have these crazy, wild, imaginative experiences. She's like, Dad, if you're not sleeping, how are you going to dream? And I felt like there was a spiritual connotation for, that, for us there as well. If I don't rest, how can I actually stop to visualize a life that's greater than what I'm currently experiencing? That's the purpose of Sabbath. When I'm with Christ, I can sit and be like, oh my gosh, Lord, what, what now? What do you have for me now? I feel stuck. Show me a way out. Lord, give me a vision for something to come. And not even for me. Lord, give me a vision for my neighbor. How can I love them better? Give me a vision for my spouse that I might push her to become the woman of God she's called to be. Give me a vision for my kids. Let me dream about what family might look like again. Amen? This happens when we Sabbath. It's very hard to do this when you're in the rhythm of work, work, work. You don't have time to stop and dream about life in Christ and what that means for your family and what that means for your workplace and what that means for your relationships and all that good stuff. So may you find rest as a way to dream. Here's a really interesting way to put it, too. In Genesis 1, we, if you look at the verbs, what are the things that God's doing in Genesis 1? He only does four big things, four big verbs. God hovers. The Spirit of God hovers over the darkness of the deep. We see that in the first couple of verses in Genesis 1. He hovers, then he speaks. Then he sees, right? He speaks. He says, let there be light. He starts speaking creation into existence. Then he sees that it is good. And then at the end, he, he rests. So this is the flow that God gave us. You hover, right? You envision. The Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness of the deep because it was looking at the chaos and envisioning what order could look like. So the Holy Spirit was a part of that process. The Holy Spirit was there at creation, hovering over the darkness, hovering over the chaos. The, the Hebrew words are tohu vabohu, tohu vavohu, which means the chaos and the waste. It was chaotic and it was wasteful, and God was going to do something amazing and bring order to it. For you and me, that means that God is present in our lives, and he looks at the chaos and the waste in our lives, and he says, let me bring spiritual order to it. And Sabbath is how we do that. Sabbath is actually how he finishes it. So God first is there, and he envisions what creation will look like. Then he speaks it. He activates things. Let there be light. Let there be birds. Let there be fish. This and that and this and that. He activates all of creation. Then he stops for a second to, to evaluate. And he says what? It's good. Oh, that was good. How many of us stop in our working and recognize, oh my gosh, that's really good what I just did. <laughs> my, that was a good time. Oh man, I need help here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm kind of messing up here. But it's an evaluation. And then last, he rests. He stops. He says, you know what works, pal? Let me take a breath. I'm going to put my feet up and I'm going to celebrate. That's when he created man. He's like, I'm going to create man and it's not good that he's alone, so I'm going to create woman and us three are going to walk in this garden and we're going to eat and enjoy all the fruit of the garden. Let's celebrate all the work that's already been accomplished. But here's the problem. If we can go back to that graphic. When, you, when he envisions, 
He activates, he evaluates, he stops. Sometimes we forget number one and number four, and we get stuck in two and three. We speak things or we activate things in our lives and we evaluate. I do something, it was it good or bad? Okay, I'm going to do it again. Was it good or bad? I'm going to do it again. Does it good or bad? And that's a rhythm of burnout. That rhythm is going to burn us out because the evaluation is never going to allow us to celebrate. What happens is when we first cast a vision, which happens when, when we stop, when we're present, we have this divine presence like, okay, in, in all this work, this could be in your work, your family, business, whatever, we envision what God might want to do. Then we activate. We do what needs to be done. Then we evaluate. Was this good? Was this bad? Does it need to work? But we stop. We don't jump right back into the rhythm of work after we evaluate. We stop for a second and we celebrate. Hey, it wasn't all good, but it's worth celebrating. <laughs> Amen? We stop and we rest. And then we get present in it again. And then we activate. And then we evaluate. And then we stop again. This is the rhythm that God has given us. So let's not miss steps. Amen? And this is how we avoid work, burnout in our work. This is how we avoid burnout in our family and burnout in like sports and life and just everything that's going on. This is the flow that God has given us. So remember, it starts with dreaming. God, God has to stop and rest so that we can dream about a new reality and he gives us a flow, a rhythm to walk out that dream. The next one is this. Resting is meditating. Everyone say meditating. meditating. Resting is meditating. Now, this is really important because when we hear meditating, most of us think of like yoga mats and like crisscross applesauce. You know what I mean? That's not actual meditation in terms of scriptural meditation. Let's jump to this passage in Joshua. It's really cool. Meditating. Be strong and courageous. Joshua is about to take people to the promised land. He says, God tells him over and over, look how many times he says it. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore their ancestors give them. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. And he continues. He says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be, encouraged, or do not be discouraged. For the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. So how many times, I don't know about you, I felt frustrated, where I felt like God is telling me these things, be strong, do not worry, don't, be, don't have anxiety, and don't, you know, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, whatever God has called me to, but oftentimes I don't know how. Amen? How, God? How can I be strong and courageous? What does that look like? I love that in this passage, he says, be strong and courageous twice, at the front and in the end, and right in the middle, he gives this little, bit, this little slice of how to do that. He says, meditate on, your, on the scripture. Day and night, so that you may be careful of everything that is written it. That's how you're going to find prosperity. You will find prosperity by the way that you meditate on the Word of God. And this is crazy because we're thinking like, oh, meditation, I thought we just like, well, here's three types of meditation. First of all, many of us are used to the Western type of meditation. Western is intellectual. So we meditate on, we read textbooks and we meditate on ideas and we throw things together and we challenge things. We try to find how things come together. It's a great process. But it doesn't help us spiritually a lot. Not so often. Then there's an, an, an Eastern type of meditation where it's about emptying of the mind. Rid yourself of everything, which is awesome, except I don't know about you, but I don't want to be left alone in my head with just me. <laughs> Amen? 
I don't want to be that. I want something there that's going to give me life. This is what biblical meditation is about. It's about emptying yourself of the world, but filling it with the words of God himself, because that's what's going to bring you flourishing. It said the same thing in Psalms. This is how you're going to find prosperity. That tree on the river is built upon the meditation on God's word. So here's what's crazy about meditation is it comes from the, the Hebrew word Hagah. Everyone say Hagah. Hagah. It means to mutter or to meditate, to moan, to growl, to utter, to muse, to mediate, uh, meditate, to devise, to plot, to speak, to roar, to growl, to groan. Wait, what? Biblical meditation is wrapped around this idea that if God speaks and his word is living and active, that just hearing the word of God itself can bring me faith. That faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, even from my own mouth. So I speak it into existence. I don't just think about it. I speak out the word of God. And I speak it out, and it comes back to me, and it refreshes my soul, and it encourages my faith. This is the, this is the movement of the ever-active word of the living God. So I moan, I growl. If you ever go to Israel, they still do this. If you go to the Wailing Wall, they literally just kind of rock back and forth, and they're just speaking scripture out. This is meditating. It's not kumbayaing and sitting with, in, in perfect stillness and quiet. It's saying that I'm going to, right now, allow this thing to just come over into my body and just, like, start speaking the goodness of God over my life and over my family and over my friends and everybody. But it's activating. And if you're like, Pastor Mark, you want me to shake and read the Bible? If, no, it's okay. That's baby steps. Baby steps. For many of us, that might be the next step. But the point is this, is how good are we at meditating on the Word, not just thinking about it, memorizing it, but speaking it out, receiving the word of God itself, even in my own words. So this is biblical meditation, and meditation is what drives prosperity. It's the Bible's clear about that over and over and over. The Bible is not a textbook. It's not just to be used so you can defend arguments about things or prove God or whatever our hearts want to do with it. It's actually meditation literature. That's how it was originally designed, so that we might know it, know the word of God, speak the word of God, speak it out over it, environments. Speak it out over my families, that they may hear the word of God. In Deuteronomy, God says, wrap scripture around your wrist, wrap it around your forehead, put it on your doorpost, make sure that you never depart from scripture, because that's how you hear my voice. So this is, the, this is the calling for us. We're always in the word, memorizing it, not for the sake of knowing it, but for speaking it out and making it a true reality in our life. That's how we find rest. We meditate. To rest is to meditate on the word of God and it'll rejuvenate our spirit. The next, the last one is this. Resting is ministering. One of the things that the Jews did in those ancient times was they... Jesus, here's a great story. Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda, and he said, pick up your mat and walk. And this man who is paralytic picks up his mat and walks out of there, the Pharisees, instead of realizing, holy smokes, that guy's walking, they said, wait, why are you carrying your mat? It's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be doing that, right? The eyes of legalism, the eyes of, of hypocrisy. And so they stop him and say, who told you to pick up your mat? And he's like, Jesus, he just healed me. And they're like, Jesus? Who does he think he's, he is to tell you to break the Sabbath? Put your mat down. And he's like, nope, I'm out of here. And he takes his mat and he leaves. And then it jumps into the story here. Look at Jesus' response. So because Jesus was doing these things, 
On the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, so I am working. Isn't that good? And you're like, wait, Pastor Mark, are you telling us to take a break and stop work? But the question is, what kind of work? What work are you doing? Are you carrying the, the yoke of your commanding officer? The yoke of your boss? The yoke of your spouse? The yoke of whoever is in your life? Or are you carrying the yoke of Jesus? That's the yoke, he says, we want to continually carry. That's the, the commands that we continually follow. That's the, the kingdom work we're always doing. So he says, my father is always at his work to this very day, so I'm too am working. He says this, for that reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal to God. Isn't that crazy? So here's the, the great Sabbath question is this, is if we learn to stop, if we learn to rest, what you're going to notice in a life of Sabbath, if you block out time in your week to just spend time with Jesus, God might actually interrupt your quiet alone time to have you do something. You might find this. If you're having a Sabbath time at the beach by yourself, but you see someone hurting or struggling and down the beach from you, Jesus would say, go up, that's Sabbath work. Go and help and love that person who's struggling down the beach. Go talk story with them. Does that make sense? So it's not about the work, getting rid of the work altogether. It's about clearing out the influences of the world so that I might hear freshly the voice of God and do the things that matter. Do the things, because here's the thing, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Multiple times he pushed back on the Sabbath. He and his disciples ate when everybody was fasting. He was always breaking these rules, but he did it for a purpose. And the purpose is, do you guys see that there's life in what I'm teaching, not life in the rules themselves? And so here's what Jesus is doing here. I think what he wants us to get at is this, is when we Sabbath, we plan on ministering. It could be ministering to your kids. That's what we try to do, my wife and I, when we try to Sabbath at home. We try to make this an intentional time of discipling our kids. So we're not just like, hey, kids, everyone feed up. Nobody can't do anything. Don't touch the remote. Don't touch your toys. Don't touch. It's not about not doing anything. It's about doing the right thing. So we start talking, hey, kids, who can we bless? How can we love that person down the street? We heard them get in a fight in their house. What can we do? And just brainstorming as a family. That's Sabbath. Because you're turning off the noise of the world and you're turning on to the work that God actually wants us to do. The thing that, that is going to define you, the thing that he is going to praise and say, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the things that count in this life. Amen? So he wants us to stop doing the things that don't count to do the things that do count. So the question is, what does love for neighbor and love for God look like in my Sabbath rest time? And is my Sabbath rest all about me feeling rejuvenated? Or am I trusting that if I actually focus more on people around me and love outside of myself, in turn, I will be rejuvenated? This is the, the invitation of the master's work on Sabbath. When we do the work that the master does, it fills our hearts and it fills our spirits and it calls us to something greater. So here's what I want us to do. Um, Alyssa's going to come up, and she's actually wrote a song specifically for rest, for Sabbath. And I want us together as a, just spend time reflecting right now, meditating, if you will, speak the word of God out. But the Sabbath reflection, this Sabbath reflection means absolutely nothing. And if we hear the word of God, it encourages our faith. But Jesus says, blessed are those who do these things. Those who put his words, his commandments into motion, that's where life happens. And so I'm, I'm wondering if we can think about these things. Man, when I Sabbath, do you have a time of Sabbath? That's the first question. Do you have a time to block off in your day, in your night? It doesn't have to be 24 hours. It can be two hours. 
It can be just a time to resist what you usually do, resist the busyness of the world, and ask this question, what am I resisting? Am I turning off my phone? That's an easy one. I'm going to resist hearing the clicks and dings of my phone for two hours and just focus on Jesus. Am I putting in my trust in him through my resting? Is this resting actually making me trust him more, or is it too easy? And then try again. Try in a way that's actually going to stretch you to trust him. Am I dreaming of a higher reality than I'm currently experiencing? Do you spend your time in Sabbath dreaming about a spiritual reality for you, your family, your kids, whatever it might be, that is higher than you're currently experiencing? Am I meditating on his word? Do I spend time in Sabbath speaking the word out, receiving it, and being refreshed by the living, active word of God? And the last one is, how am I doing the work of the Father? Are we doing what God has actually called us to do by the time we Sabbath. And so here's what I'll do is as Alyssa sings the song, we're just going to reflect together and just spend time with the Lord and ask these questions. Like, how could I actually have a time with Jesus that kind of knocks some of these things, checks some of these boxes off? Yeah? How can I actually have a time with Jesus that's resisting, that's meditating, that's trusting, that's bringing me joy and hope back to my soul? Because I believe if we trust the process, we trust He who created the process that God has a new life in store for us in ways that we might not even imagine. Amen? Amen. So let's take a time and reflect together. Take a deep breath and be still. Know that I am God. Take a deep breath, just be still and know that I have Take a deep breath and be still. Know that I am God. Take a deep breath, just be still. Know that I have one. Cause every knee will bow And every tongue confess That I alone am God And 
Take a deep breath and be still. Know that I am God. Take a deep breath and be still. Know that I have one. Aloha, church family. Thank you so much for joining with us in worship this morning. We truly hope that you were refreshed and, and strengthened in your faith during these crazy pandemic days. We want, invite you to look at all of our messages. They're available on our YouTube channel. We'd also invite you to download our church app. It's just a great way for us to keep in touch, to communicate, also for you to receive materials. So uh, take advantage of downloading that church app. We would invite you to partner with us as we continue serving God faithfully during these days. And you can give online, you can give on our website, uh, or mail a check into our street address. We really appreciate your support with that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you peace. We love you. Aloha.